God is truly at work and he is good. Today we're talking about empowered speech in about the most traditional Pentecostal way that you could think of. And uh, I'm really sad. I love Nana, and, uh, and, and she's wonderful, and she gets honorable mention in today's sermon because, because she would love this sermon. It's going to be on uh, empowered speech, and it's so Pentecostal, and it's so good. Um, and what I'm doing is I actually, I actually want to get to the beginning for a strong theological basis for our understanding of the miracle of speaking in tongues. Because I know, and it's awesome, because I look in this room right now, and I'm like, yep. The majority of people in this room right now did not grow up in a Pentecostal setting. And, uh, and, and our church holds a Pentecostal banner. And so, so we have the distinctive of the PAOC, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And one of our distinctives is this whole speaking in tongues thing, and tying it to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, there's a landmine for you, Pastor Rob. Let's go step on it. Okay, let's go together. And it's going to be good, and I am blessed. I am, I am encouraged. Um, I, I want to let you know that my intention is not to convince my intention today is not to end the service with a holy roller altar to call where we're here until 4 o'clock p.m. because the Holy Spirit gets control. People falling on the floor, speaking in tongues, yelling at each other, and doing all this stuff that we've seen in terms of stereotypes. I'm not here to do that today because that's not where we are as a congregation. My goal today is actually just to bring us to a place of understanding of what the gift of tongues is in our Pentecostal history, what's happened with it, and how it's useful. And so I'm excited about this sermon. I've been working on this sermon for months, and it's a little bit of fear and trepidation that I step into it. However, before I get into the sermon, I just need to reflect back on last week's sermon. Pastor Danielle did an awesome job talking about prophecy, and I was watching Slack, and we had a ton of questions that came out of Pastor Danielle's sermon, which they should have because that sermon was very weighty. It was a very weighty sermon. And so there were two specific questions I want to start off with. And one of the questions concerning is, is that we read about on Slack was, was about involving the God card. Because we said that, that prophetic speech is empowered by God speaking God's truth. And then what happens is there's a God card. Somebody comes up to somebody else and says, I think that God, this actually happened to me when I was in my 20s. God told me, you are going to marry that person. And it was a funny comment, because there was no way that person would ever have me. <laughs> it was mutual. We were very good friends. And, uh, and there was not a chance that was going to happen. And so, so, but somebody played the God card. And they said, this is prophecy. Well, what do you do with that? And so somebody came up with that question and, and said, how do you do with that? Okay, so two things that, that I want us to, to grapple with as we step into this. Do my words that I think are from God qualify as prophecy because I think they're from God? And the answer 
is actually no. Just because you think you are saying something that is from God, that does not mean that it is from God. I think God told me to drink chocolate milk at lunch today. Nope. Nope, he most definitely did not. That would cause terrible ramifications. Um, but this is not true. Words that I think are from God do not necessarily qualify as prophecy. If I'm the receiver of a word, do I have to listen to somebody because they said it was a prophetic word? The answer is no. No, you do not. If someone claims they have a prophetic word for you, or God told them that you must do, that is not something you have to listen to. Here's, where I want, here's what I want to do. This is vital for clarity. In Sermon 1, we stated that the truth originates from God, and it is unchanging and non-negotiable. God is, and God defines truth. Sermon number 2, we said God's tr God speaks his truth to people and through people, and that's called prophecy. But a spoken word is considered prophetic by the hearer, not by the speaker. The spoken word is judged as prophetic by the hearer. You are the person who needs to parse out, did God speak here? That's important. Because what it does is, when we say a spoken word is considered prophetic by the hearer and not the speaker, then it sidesteps the abuse of power. Where as a pastor, I say, God says, thus saith the Lord, you do blah, 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 blah. Now, I might be right. God might say the exact things that I said. But you, with the Holy Spirit inside of you, need to weigh that out and attribute to it the specifics. Was that word prophetic? So we had an experience with that in Sunday sermon last week when Pastor Danielle stood right here and she left her notes and she said something to a person sitting in the front and, and, she, and she spoke a word. Now, in that moment, Pastor Danielle thought that she was just simply giving an illustration. Yet, I was sitting right there, and our friend Frank was sitting in his empty seat right there because he's at a wedding. And the receiver of the word was heard it as an example, and then weight and truth rested in it. The word that Pastor Danielle used as an example became prophetic in the moment that the eternal truth of God's word resonated with the individual. 
the individual said, that was prophetic. That was God's word. That's where the power of prophecy comes in. It comes in through the hearer who says, that I recognize as God. Which means when you are giving a word that you think is from God, you hold it lightly. Please, as a pastoral team, we will always do this. I believe God's telling me something about this. Is that resonating with you? Is that true? And the reason we do it is because we never want to abuse power by playing a God card. But yet when we do that, the person then says, holy cow, that is exactly what God was saying. That's exactly what God was saying to me. How did you know? Now we have a prophetic exchange. So put the power of prophecy into the, re or the recognition of prophecy into the hands of the hearer and not in the hands of the speaker. Just an important point. So, speaking with confidence does nothing except for to boost your own ego. Speaking with humility, opening your comments to the judgment of the hearer is love and respect. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 14.1, says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you could prophesy. I encourage you to hear the voice of God so you could speak it. But I encourage you to judge what you hear, even if it comes from me or another authority with a microphone. Judge what you hear according to the Spirit of God inside of you and Scripture. Then you will know what God is leading us in. So, someone says, uh, when we see the prophets in the Bible, did they do this? Uh, they didn't actually care. Uh, the prophets in the Bible said, I, God's telling me this, and this is what I'm going to tell the people. And what the people did, it was, it was detached. It was, a, it was a message to a nation. And so, so they were like, well, when Jeremiah prophesied, he would, this is what God's saying to Israel. This is what God's going to do. Like it or not, it's what God's going to do. It's fine. Jeremiah was judged a prophet actually after all of that started to come to pass. We see that the Old Testament will judge the merit of a prophet by whether what they prophesied is true or lived out or not. And it says actually in the Old Testament that if a prophet prophesies something in the future that doesn't happen, that prophet should be stoned. So we could, we could go back to Old Testament standards if you'd like, but no. Um, I'm offering us to, to say, let's offer out prophetic words in humility and allow us to say, does that resonate with you? Um, and, uh, and, and, yeah. Okay, so now let's get into tongues because this is fun. <laughs> okay, maybe I'm the only one having fun. So <laughs> what assumptions do you have about speaking in tongues. Maybe you've never heard of it, and you could say that in Slack. I'm okay with that if you've never heard of it. If you've heard of it, you have assumptions about it. Maybe you've got experience. Maybe you've got thoughts. I want to hear from you. What assumptions do you have about speaking in tongues? I'm not going to be able to address a lot of these in Slack. However, these are going to give us uh, information and starting basis for our forum discussion happening in two weeks from now. So, or th uh, yeah. So what assumptions do we have about speaking in tongues? 
Um, empowered speech accurately represents the will of God in the world today. That's what gives it power. Today, again, my goals are I want us to bring us to a place of theological commonality. I'm not going to do the altar call, as I said, and my goal is to look at empowered speech that God uses. So, yeah, I'll just touch in a, a couple uh, a couple of comments here. Someone says that I assume it's a gift and it's not for everybody. I understand that tongues were present in the early church, but there were a lot of things present then which are, aren't there now, uh, like Peter raised Tabitha from the dead, and uh, we don't see that commonly here. I'm going to qualify that in North America, um, but I believe it happens rarely. So what makes tongues difference? different? Great starting question. I love it. Uh, my first experience of witnessing speaking in tongues was when I visited my friends as a, at church as a child, and it was scary and disconcerting. Um, someone says that my assumption that when I speak in tongues, I would understand what I'm saying. Okay. So let's, let's, go, let's go into this, and I'm going to actually bring us back, farther back than you would anticipate in the conversation about speaking in tongues. Um, I'm, we're going to go all the way back. We're going to go back to Genesis. Genesis 11. What does Genesis 11 have to do with speaking in tongues? So let me actually clarify a language for us. Speaking in tongues is commonly understood as the experience of speaking to God in what amounts to gibberish. It sounds very non English in church Pentecostal experiences. It is syllables. Um, she bought a Honda, could have bought a Kia. Wait, that was English. Um, she bought a Honda, could have bought a Kia. Sorry. Tongues sounds gibberish, but the, the but the belief is that it is that it is a spirit language that communicates purely God's thought, even though we don't comprehend it. Okay, so there's our starting point of what tongues is, but we need to get back to it. Genesis eleven one to nine. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. As people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and builtmen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. And we will make a name for ourselves, lest we're dispersed over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they would not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. And therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face 
of the earth. One of the earliest themes of the Bible is the separation of humanity from God and humanity from each other because of languages. It's constantly in the Bible, and you see it as we start to see the idea that Israel is established as the center place of God's rule that all nations will be affected by. When we talk about nations, we talk about people groups, we talk about different languages. The direction of God's work is the unity of all of humanity, not the not making everybody the same, but making everybody have a common language, a common understanding, and a common purpose. And so we see this, this separation all throughout Scripture. I mean, here's my question for you. How have language barriers affected you? How have language barriers affected you? How have they been a struggle for you? People were dispersed. When you can't speak the same language, you can't accomplish great things. Somebody says, why confuse the languages? Well, to actually, the Bible says that, that God was actually holding back humanity from accomplishing all the things that they wanted to do. So why do you confuse the languages? Well, for that reason. So when we can't speak the same language, we, we can't accomplish these great things. We struggle. Later on in history, 330 years before Jesus, we went through a period of Hellenization. Ooh, history. Here we go. Alexander the Great pushed the Greek Empire all over the Mediterranean, through North Africa, all the way out towards India, and all the way up in the southern regions of Europe. And his strategy was to bring all of these people under a centralized empire by everybody speaking the same language. Greek. Greek became the language of the world. It became the language of commerce. It brought unity. It brought infrastructure. It brought, it brought everybody together and the, and, and they were able to keep their national identities and their culture um, to get intact, but everybody spoke the same language. So, in Genesis 11, we see that with unity of language, the kingdom is built. That was Babel. The problem was Babel was built on anthropocentric identity. It was human-centered. The children of man wanted to make a name for themselves, and God's like, mm -mm -mm -mm, no. No, that's not going to happen. So, so he says that humanity is not going to be the autonomous lords of the earth. People are actually still saying, I never understood the confusing of the languages either. It was, again, to break the human claim to lordship over the earth. It would be like, no, 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 that is not what's happening. You're not going to unite and be in total control. Okay, so God saw that come and said, come, let's go down and confuse the language so that they can't understand one another's speech, and God dispersed them. The Tower of Babel is geographically situated in a land bridge between Asia and Europe and Africa. 
that's that's where this tower was. It's this converging of these three major continents, and it was supposed to be the center of the world, and God separated them. So how have language barriers impacted you? Um, the problem is much smaller now due to Google Translate, right? Google Translate has actually helped humanity communicate better because, I mean, I remember working in Sony, and a person came into the store, and I wanted to sell them a TV, and, and uh, um, we had a, it was the very beginnings of a translation app, and we were able to translate and have a conversation. The guy didn't buy a TV anyway, so whatever. Um, so God's plan for the nation was to bring nations together under his rule and his kingdom. The prophetic word from Joel 2, which we're going to look at in a moment, shows the power of God consuming all things in punishment against a rebellious creation. But in the middle of the pronouncement of judgment, God brings hope. And he says, my people will never be put to shame. Look at this, Joel 2, 27 to 32. You will eat in plenty and be satisfied. Praise the name of the Lord your God, who's dealt well who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. And it will come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. I will show Wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's uniting. People will speak with the words of God. They will prophesy. When I push that even further, so Joel is in the Old Testament, I push into the end of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. See why, we, like, we just need to be knowing our Bible because this is so confusing without it. But Revelation 7, 9, Behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, all tribes, people, and languages, standing before the throne of the people on the Lamb, uh, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. The hope is God is restoring the world to complete unity, including language. That's where we're going. Okay, I know, classroom-style lecture today, Pastor Rob. Holy cow. Um, so... We now find ourselves as a people who've lived through life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Jesus ascended, and he, and he told his disciples to wait until the Holy Spirit's poured out on them. So then they waited. Acts 2 is really important. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues. It's actually the same word for languages. As the Spirit gave them utterance. According to Peter who was there, he said, Hello, what you're seeing is Joel chapter 2, what I just read to you. 
that in the last day, I will pour out my spirit, and your young people will prophesy. They will speak the words of God. What you're seeing is Joel 2 here. This is that. And I want you to take note, as I continue reading this passage, this empowered speech became clear to people of all languages. It was like Google Translate happening on the fly. Like Elon Musk's, like, you know, uh, mental thing going into the brain and being like, you can understand everything now. It's like, oh my gosh. Um, Acts 2, 5 to 8. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout Jews, men from every nation. And at the sound of the multitude came together, they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, are not these who are speaking Galileans? How do we hear each one in our own native tongue? This is the reversal of the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, languages separated because it was all under God, all under man's rule. Acts chapter 2, languages united. This is the sign of the end of the age. In the last day, sons and daughters will prophesy. This is the sign of the end. That's what this is. All right, let me, let me just look at, at Slack here. I find it really difficult to do my best job for a client when, when, I'm, un, when I'm unable to understand their language. We often have nonverbal cues and understandings, but I also don't feel that I could do my best when I speak to or understand a person that I'm helping. It's absolutely true. When on a mission trip in the DR, I connected with a few pastors through body language and presence, through our souls, and it was beautiful, like we were communicating without language, and we understood each other. Two very different experiences between the separation of language. So, what we have is we are, we are going through this time of a reversal of the Tower of Babel. I'm going to give you an imagination question. What would change in our world if all of us spoke the exact same language? What would change in our world if everyone spoke the exact same quest, uh, language? Peter said that the Holy Spirit poured out so the, so the pro, and is promised to people so we would speak with empowered speech, speaking God's word to each other. Always the reflection of God's will. Spoke to the world today in every language. Tongues as a practice disappeared from church history almost completely. Not totally. Throughout the age of, of uh, Christendom in the Catholic Church, there were always little sects where tongues was, was practiced in some, you know, obscure spots here and there. But it almost disappeared until in 1850s, there were some theologians who were looking for, what does God really want to do with the world? And they started discovering that a holiness call 
coming out of the Wesleyan Methodist pursuit of holiness would change us and would position us to be used by God. And they started, they started seeking more from God. And, and all of a sudden, tongues started happening. In 1906, in Azusa Street in California, tongues started happening under a black man named William Seymour. In Chicago, in 1908, there was a man named Charles Parnham, totally independent of what was happening in, in Keswick, UK, and in, and in uh, Azusa. In, in 1908, Charles Parnham, seeking the Word of God, and all of a sudden, tongues started happening. In 1909, I believe, I might be wrong on that, Ellen Hebden in Toronto on Queen Street, praying in an upper flat, just started praying. I'm praying with a bunch of people, and all of a sudden they start speaking in tongues. They're like, what is this? Through letters and connections around the world, people started saying something new is happening. Remember in Acts 2, you have this sense that this is a sign of the end. Jesus is returning. And, and the Pentecostals, that's what they eventually got named. All these people I just named are, are at the core of the Pentecostal history. These Pentecostals became people who believed that the reason that tongues was given was for missionary work. Let's go. Let's, let's be off. Let's get out there. Let's tell people about Jesus' return and the hope of the world. And I don't even care if they can't speak our language because now we can speak their language. And, they, and literally, there's one story of a man in, in Hebden Mission, and, and he's, like, he's like, I'm quitting my job. And his wife's like, what? He's like, God's calling me to China. And she's like, what? And he's like, I can speak their language now. And he went to China, and he started speaking in tongues to the people, and they're like, what's wrong with you? But he persisted, and he continued to do the work of the ministry and led many people to Jesus. Ah, there are some disconnects. There's some stuff that are happening. But early Pentecostals became the largest missionary sending organization in the world because empowered speech through tongues would allow us to bring God's truth to the nations who've not heard it. 1 Corinthians 14, 5 to 6 says, now I want you all to speak in tongues. I want you all to speak in tongues. But even more, I want you to prophesy. Speak empowered speech. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how am I going to benefit you? Unless I bring you a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. Paul is clearly expecting that everyone should be able to understand when someone speaks in tongues. And if it's not understood, it needs to be interpreted. It just needs to be interpreted. Why? Because the outpouring of the Spirit of God 
and empowered speech is spoken for the revelation of God's will. Empowered speech it accurately represents the will of God in the world today, and that's what gives it power. So when speech is not understood, it cannot accurately represent the will of God. So as a church community, we're filled with the Spirit of God for the purpose of proclaiming the will of God in the world around us, and that's our missionary calling. So here's the challenge for every Christian. Empowered speech accurately represents the will of God. So Paul finishes his exhortation. When you come together, every one of you should have a hymn, a song, a spiritual psalm, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up of the church. Building up of the church isn't just saying nice things. It's actually saying the things necessary for growth. We're built up by the miracle of tongues. We're united in speech by echoing the very words of God. It's a link between the hope of the unity of all nations being brought together, one language spoken in unity. Tongues are a sign of empowered speech to bring unity because Jesus is coming soon. I want all of us to be able to speak with empowered speech. The truth of God spoken into our world today. We need it. We need people with the boldness to speak the truth of God spoken into our world today. In English and in German and in French and in every language under heaven, we need it. So as we bring this all the way around, we see the Tower of Babel. God confuses the, the languages. When the prophets spoke, we foresaw a day when the people would speak the words of God. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to be poured out. That's why the disciples waited. When the Holy Spirit came on them, it was done through empowered speech that reversed language barriers. And today, Pentecostals also believe the speech of tongues and prophecy are still in effect, empowered by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of spreading the kingdom of God among and across this multi-language world. All speech that proclaims God's truth is empowered by the Spirit of God. My final verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, nobody can say Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Spirit. This is the first time we've spoken about tongues and empowered speech at Promised Church, so I expect more questions. This should have raised questions. You guys are all being nice because you didn't inundate me. Oh, actually, you did a little bit. I missed a bunch. Wow. Why didn't it track with me? I'm sorry. I missed so much. Holy cow. My computer did not track with me today. I apologize. I'm going to have to look at this afterwards. There's so much here. It just popped up. 64 new messages. Okay. I got some work to do. I apologize. I missed that, guys. But there are questions. Use Slack to engage with more questions, even today. And as we continue through this sermon series, we are going to continue to seek to bring clarity and understanding and uh, I just want God to bless you. Let me pray for us. God, there's 64 unanswered questions on Slack right now. Not sure whether that's a testament to my 
extra clear preaching or not. I haven't read them. But God, I just pray that you would allow us to be people who know you, who know your word, and who can speak your truth. I desire that everybody in this room would be able to speak your eternal truth inside this room to each other, that we would recognize it, that we would hear it, and outside of these walls, into our communities that so desperately need it. God, we need your word and your clarity. This world needs your truth. And so, Jesus, today as we grow, I pray that you would continue to work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.